0: I'm Nimi. And I'm Ritu. From Adventurize, this is Venturing Beyond, a podcast where we delve into the career stories of ambitious individuals. Today, we have with us Mickey Gates, who, in a way, has portfolio of a career. She is an artist and entrepreneur who has founded a management consulting firm called Pikes Peak. She uh, has worked in human resources for quite a lot of years, so that's something we'll be. Going in a little bit of depth uh, as we go further into this conversation, she is a survivor speaker. She has uh, battled a couple life-threatening illnesses and now has made it a point to go out there and publicly talk about uh, and have honest conversations about what her experience has been like and all everything around wellness. And currently, she is a curator of TEDx Manitow Springs. So, welcome, uh, Mickey, to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm, I'm really excited to be here as well. So, um, Miggy, as I was uh, reading up a little bit about you and everything that you have been posting on LinkedIn and on your social medias, um, I came across a really interesting post of yours from a little while ago where you spoke about how usually when people are asked about this thing about tell me about yourself right a lot of times we tend to talk about what we have done and everything that you know that we've been able to accomplish as opposed to who we actually are and I found that really interesting because a lot of times whether you are in job interviews or meeting someone new that's the first thing that comes up right you just start talking about the first thing you talk about is what you do professionally so I kind of wanted to start this conversation by asking you to tell me a little bit about yourself and, and what do you mean by actually defining yourself by who you are?
1: Yeah, the, thank you for, for that. It, it is such a valuable question as somebody who has interviewed people for, you know, almost 20 years now, you're right. That's exactly what people do. You ask them to tell you about themselves and they immediately dive into their previous careers and what their job titles have been, but they don't really tell you anything about their characteristics. And I think it's just because we've been trained that who we are is what our job is. Um, so for me, I'm funny. I'm somebody that I find a lot of humor and a lot of joy in life. Um, I'm somebody who is extremely reliable. Um, I do believe in, um, doing everything with integrity, um, and make sure that I'm not offending people, that I'm including people. Um, I really am focused on creating inclusive environments as much as I possibly can. So I like doing things like going and playing outdoor laser tag. I am addicted to escape rooms, um, which I've done about 50 escape rooms. Um, and then I'm also a really creative person and so that's helped me connect with people more um, and come up with some really fun activities and ways to connect with people and uh, I'm a little bit silly.
0: (laughs) That's a beautiful answer. I think it's it's like a whole 360 degree, you know, perspective of what it might be like hanging out with you, you know? (laughs) I think one other thing about you is uh, that you call yourself a world-class empathizer. And I I got kind of curious about that because um, a lot of your conversations around that are also in the context of uh, being in the workforce, right? So I'm wondering, is it something that you think is kind of lacking in the current workplace scenario? Is it something
1: that you think people aren't actively engaging in? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I do think that We are, as a world and as a workforce, getting better, and we are putting more weight on emotional intelligence um, and the softer skills like empathy. Um, For me personally, as a world-class empathizer, I I think I've had a lot of experiences in my life that um, have set me up to look at other people and their perspectives. And so an example that I use when I'm training employees is about 16 years ago, my grandfather was passing away. He was in a hospice. We knew that soon he would die. And my mother called me while I was at work and told me that he had passed, but that my grandmother did not know. And so I needed to go and pick her up let her know that her husband of almost 50 years had passed away and then bring her to where he was. So as I get in my car, I'm crying and I'm emotional and I'm typically a pretty good driver, but I'm pretty sure I ran a couple of red lights. I was probably not staying in the lanes because I was so emotional and people were honking at me and upset with me. And at that moment, even as I was so upset about my grandfather, but I had this aha moment where I thought, Oh my goodness, when I get upset, at other people who are driving and cutting me off and who knows what happened to them. Maybe their grandfather just passed away. And, So I, like I said, I think I've always been a natural empathizer, even growing up, I I was good at um, understanding other people's perspectives. But it was that moment that I really um, challenged myself to be that way in all areas. So even if somebody has failed, or um, I think about employees who maybe are late every single day, even in those situations, I still can have empathy. That does not mean that I don't hold them accountable. It just means that I can understand things from their perspective. And so I, I work hard on training people about empathy because I think so many people in the workforce now tend to be a little bit more cynical.
0: Yeah, it's pretty interesting that you mentioned about you know humanizing that connection as well because that can get forgotten in terms of deadlines and things that are coming up and project that needs to be done ASAP. Like you can forget that side as well. Uh, I'm a psychology major. I did did a bunch of classes in like organizational behavior and that front of things. And one of the things I remember discussing in our class was how powerful being vulnerable to your colleagues can be. And it's not just about, you know, telling your problems to them or just talking about things that you're emotional about, but it's also sort of about building that kind of trust mm-hmm. and that kind of rapport with them where you can be a human and you can talk about things that are outside of work that are affecting you so uh yeah being empathetic also goes back to other people allowing other people to be vulnerable to us and opening up to us as well it's something that can be learned right like you're working Absolutely. on training people on that So to what extent do you think this is something that is a learnable trait? Or is it just, you know, an inherent part of your personality that you're probably born with
1: and would be too hard to change like what does that balance look like people are naturally born being empathetic or not being empathetic and so that's why it's important to find people that balance you in terms of training people you might not be able to train them to automatically be empathetic but what you can do just like when you're training them how to use a computer different types of skills you can train them to stop whenever they start having a reaction that might be something that's more negative or assuming negative intent of an employee. You can train them to stop and question how they're reacting and say, am I actually thinking about this from the other person's perspective? Am I understanding what they're trying to say to me? Or am I just automatically making an assumption about their behavior and acting on that? And so while internally, they might not have that empathy, they can still be a more empathetic leader by slowing down and asking those questions.
0: When we talk about personalities in general, right, and I I asked this question to you specifically as an HR professional who's done this kind of work for multiple years. So when you talk about personalities, would you say that uh, there's there's certain kind of personalities who are meant for certain kinds of works or job fields? Um, or is it something that you should not take into account? Because a lot of times, conversations around the big five personality model, and like the Myers-Briggs test, and sort of like trying to categorize ourselves based on those traits that, you know, a piece of paper tells us, uh, that's something that might or might not work, right? These kinds of tests, maybe covertly or overtly are part of the interview processes, or when people are trying to figure out if someone's a good add to a team or a good fit for a particular kind of a role as someone who's looking for a job or someone who's just figuring out what kind of industry I should go into or what kind of job would I be okay doing on an everyday basis? To what extent in your experience has personality been a hindrance or an accelerator to something that a person might or might not want to do in their professional lives?
1: I, I personally like, um, personality tests, um, not necessarily as something that you wholly invest in, like, you don't necessarily take a DISC assessment and say, okay, this is who I am. And this is how I'm going to communicate with other people or strength finders or Myers-Briggs. But I do think that there's value in taking those assessments and even taking them um, within a group setting to where you can learn more about it and interact with people that have different strengths than you. Or if we're thinking about DISC in particular, I'm a high I. Um, with a high D and then some pretty mo- moderate C, working with other people who are um, the opposite of me and kind of understanding how they work through those assessments has been something that's been really enlightening to me. And like I said, I don't invest everything into them. It's not something where I'm like, this is who I am. This is who I'm always going to be. But on the flip side, when I understand if I'm a high I and I'm working with somebody who's a high D, then I understand the way to communicate them so with them so that I'm getting through to them and speaking their language. For people that are entering the workforce or maybe applying for a job, I think it can be something that helps them understand what type of role would be best for them. Again, not something that they only go off of that, but something that just is a guide for them and helps them understand the types of roles that they might be really successful in.
0: So, talking about like, you know, introversion and extroversion specifically and that kind of spectrum, that cannot always be a one off thing, right? Sometimes you're more extroverted than people around you. Sometimes you're a more introverted than people around you. You know, it just it really depends on the situation. Because this has been my experience or the things that I've observed so far. When you are like an early in career employee or someone who's just out of college, networking in itself is emphasized a lot. Uh, you can go on job boards and apply for jobs online you can reach out to people you already know and all of that kind of stuff but every single webinar that I've been a part of or every single person or like a career advisor I've spoken to this has been like the top tip right like you have to go out there put yourself out there you have to network and make your way through and that generally is a pretty great advice right because you get to learn more things outside of your immediate circle. You get to meet interesting people. You get, uh, you might be able to f- learn a few new things that you had probably never heard of before, but that cannot be everyone's cup of tea, right? And talking about personalities specifically, th- that's not generally a super sustainable way for someone who just doesn't like being around people a lot or finds their peace when they're alone. And not just before looking for jobs, right? Once you are in that sort of a corporate setting or in any kind of a workplace, once you're in there, um, networking is kind of a way to get, get promoted, to get your work noticed, to sort of, you know, like get along well with your colleagues, because that's also a really important part of being able to progress in what you are doing. So I think generally the way workplaces are curated or just how they function inherently uh, catered towards more outgoing people. Do you agree with that? And, and what's your... Um, what's your opinion on
1: it? I think you're 100% correct. Um, it's it's been that way probably, you know, since the industrial revolution that people that are more outgoing are more successful because they do get the opportunity to shine in front of the decision makers and people that naturally network of course are going to have those connections and going to be able to, be able to open doors that other people won't. Um, however, I do think think that in the past, probably five years or so, there has been a shift where people are being seen for things beyond being outspoken. Um, But there are lots of other ways that people could be creative and reach out and network online, even through blogging, through sending notes to people. If they create creative content, they can send that out. If they have a few key people that they trust, those people could help them network as well. But then on the flip side, going back to the original about needing to be outspoken and cheerful and take initiative and how that can be exhausting for people, I think if if the people that are that way that tend to be more introverted, if they schedule the times that they're going to network and also schedule times for them to replenish, then that gives them kind of what they need. It, it's not necessarily fair that that's the way it is, but... But we're, you know, we have a lot of time before we're going to get to the point where outspoken and outgoing people aren't the chosen ones. So being able to
0: strategize around what already your restrictions are. And I really like your point on finding different ways to put yourself out there. So whether it's writing a blog or like creating an Instagram page for your artwork or something like that.
1: Now we can do that. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that didn't exist. You had to go into work. You had to be on when you got there and be happy and pleasant. But nowadays, you know, you could be behind a computer and not talk to a single person the entire day and still be super successful. So kind of going
0: um, to some questions about you and your HR journey and your also your journey as an entrepreneur. I'd like to know a little bit about
1: what your entire career journey has been like. Absolutely. I started my people HR career when I joined a nonprofit school when I was about 20. I started as the office manager, and there were about 15 different employees and about 250 volunteers. And that was where I learned to be a really great multitasker, to wear about 30 different hats, and to constantly switch gears. Um, and I learned that I was really good at anticipating people's needs to um, help them feel really excited about work that they were having. having. Having to do. And I worked there for about 10 years, eventually um, changed from being the office manager to being the director of HR and started learning more about the backside of the people industry. So labor, law, benefits administration, all the things that aren't as romantic and fun as actually getting to connect with people and help them. Um, and after I'd been there for about 10 years, it was time for me to move on and, and, you know, find something new. And so I actually jump shipped and went over to retail and ended up working at Sephora and worked there for a long time as a store director and eventually what's called a store council store director, which meant that I got to go to the corporate office. And that is where I really started to understand what I loved specifically, which was creating and developing strategies that help people enjoy their job better. So when I found that niche, that's when I really started being more focused on what I wanted my career to be. And I, I, Then went to a talent uh, management specialist position at a company called CoreVirtis that worked with companies all over the world, worked with the executive teams at each of these companies in developing their HR and operations strategies. So things from as simple as creating job descriptions, all the way to creating entire performance management systems. And um, I loved it, loved, loved, loved it. But the environment was just a little bit too quiet for me. And that is when... I decided to, to found Launch Pikes Peak and do similar things with local smaller companies in the hospitality, e-commerce industries, help them create policies and procedures, create handbooks, create employee engagement solutions, different things like that. Because what I found is a lot of those smaller companies, they just don't know how to do that. And so they they know, let's say they're opening a restaurant, they know how to cook the food, they know how to serve the guests, but they don't necessarily Necessarily know all those back end HR and people operations frameworks um, and from there I got my license to curate TEDx Manitou Springs and we're currently working on curating our first events we just selected our speakers right as COVID is finally slowly starting to trickle down we're able to bring people back together to be inspired and really restore what our community had before the beginning of 2020.
0: That's that's a very exciting journey. And like the theme that I saw throughout was sort of like an impact on other people. So I think that's, that's sort of being um, a driving force behind you making those decisions. But it also looks like you did spend several years in those specific uh, roles that you did before sort of making your switch. Yeah. So did you have any particular kind of you know, realization when you are in those specific roles that, hey, this is the time to change or, you know, I've exactly found
1: what I enjoy doing. So I'm going to go after it. Or did you just go with the flow? Um, a little bit of both. Um, When I was at the nonprofit, I'd been there for about 10 years, basically all of my twenties, I was there. And so that one was a transition that took me a couple of years to realize it was time to leave just because that was kind of all I knew as an adult. Um, But I really, I was just ready to to just expand my knowledge and have new exciting adventures. When I was at Sephora, um, actually I probably would still be there except for I got sick. I started getting sick in 2012 and did not know what was wrong with me. I thought I had asthma. I went to the doctor over and over and they, they misdiagnosed me as having asthma. And then in 2016, while I was at work, while I was at Sephora, I had a stroke while I was talking to an employee, ended up being rushed to the hospital and had dozens of tests. And they found a large tumor inside my heart called a myxoma. Um, So I had to have emergency open heart surgery the next day. And then I had a pacemaker implanted about four days after that, I went back to work three and a half weeks after having open heart surgery. Um, so at the time I was really proud of myself. It was like, look at me, I'm coming back to work and I'm here with my team and it's great. Um, and I actually worked at Sephora for about another year and a half. I got a promotion. I was driving to Denver back and forth every day. Um, and, about a year, year and a half after returning to work, I started, reflecting on the fact that I had not taken the time I needed to heal. And I don't mean heal physically. I was going through what I needed to physically, but I hadn't really accepted that I'd been through something so traumatic and hadn't given myself the opportunity to heal emotionally. And so that I really had an aha moment. I actually um, went to Australia and got married. And while I was in Australia and I was having this chance to reflect, I thought I love my job, but at the same time, I haven't processed what I need to process and therefore I'm not giving a hundred percent to my job and I'm not able to give a hundred percent to my family or to myself as well. Um, and so as I, when I was in Australia and just enjoying myself, I started thinking about the things that I loved at Sephora but also the things that I was spending so much time on, like being in the car or focusing on loss prevention or focusing on merchandising, when my passion was really people and really inspiring people and motivating people and helping them grow and um, into their careers that they didn't you know, see potential that they didn't even necessarily see that they had. And so when I got back from Sephora, that's when I put in my notice and decided that I needed to find work doing something that was really specific to those things that I was so passionate about. Um, And like I said, I I loved Sephora. I probably would still be there if I had not gotten sick because it was a really great job and I had a lot of fun. But in terms of career satisfaction, um, as I processed, when I left Sephora and started thinking through, okay, this is what I want to do and this is the impact I want to make, that was where the career satisfaction piece came in of I refuse to work anywhere where I don't feel like I'm making a difference and where I don't have some flexibility and autonomy to do what I know is right based on my experience and just based on, you know, on my knowledge. Um, and so, yeah, so it, it definitely is something that has guided me since I left Sephora in working at Corvertis and learning so much that I did there working with these companies all over the world and then um, founding Pikes Peak and curating TEDx. Every day that I work, even if I'm exhausted, I go to bed with that sense of satisfaction because I know that I'm making a difference. I know that I'm inspiring people um, and I know that I'm helping create leaders or empower leaders of tomorrow. Uh, So, yeah, absolutely. That was something that changed the way I think about where I work and how I work.
0: It's amazing that you just said that you go to bed thinking that you make a difference and then you're satisfied with what you do. And I can imagine it's a great feeling to have. Um, And that's something I've personally been sort of struggling with as well as I'm just starting out my professional journey, trying to figure out what I really enjoy, what I would like to do several hours a day and still be able to do it for many, many years to go. Right. And of course, the interests might change and things that I'm passionate about might change over time. But there's still some essence to what a general satisfactory professional life could look like and that's something that a lot of people do struggle with in their early years like you seem to have found hey like I like making an impact and I like pe- making a difference in other people's life quite early on so you're able to like you know make those decisions accordingly but um, a lot of people just simply don't have that um, including myself so if you had to give certain tips to people still exploring what they're doing or sort of um, navigating their journey through figuring out what they enjoy, what they're passionate about, or just simply what they would like to do for the long term. Uh, What would your tips be for
1: that? I think um, I would say that to not think that whatever decision you make has to be the decision you've made for your entire life. So back when my grandmother was working, she, I think her entire career, she worked, I think 40, 45 years. She only worked two jobs her entire career. Back then you did not change careers. You got your job, you stayed there, no matter how much you hated it, no matter how you were treated. Whereas now we really do have a lot of flexibility, not only changing jobs within the same career, but at any point stopping and thinking, is this actually what I want to do now that I've learned and now that I've experienced this? Um, the other piece of advice was just because you're doing one thing doesn't mean you can't do two things. And so for me, I, TEDx is completely volunteer. I have a regular you know, 45 an hour a week job that I do where I, um, work with people and build culture, but then I also have TEDx. And so have multiple passions at the same time while you're trying to figure it out. I don't think I'll ever, and probably until the day that I die, I won't ever only be working on one project. And that I think is probably why I do go to sleep feeling successful because some days I put my all into TEDx. Other days I might spend half the day painting. Um, other days I might've just gone to a couple of escape rooms with my daughter um so yeah those are my two pieces that of advice you you are not stuck so don't be afraid to take chances and um if you change in five years or 10 years or 20 years go for it it's never too late um and then do multiple things don't think that you only have time for one thing if you are passionate about things you can make time for them
0: flexibility is like the biggest Absolutely. takeaway from that so uh, how would you say um, your networking process looked like was it something that you actively did um and how did that look like uh, during your early years of of career
1: um I, you know what's funny is that i i seem like a people person and I am people focused, but I'm actually an extroverted introvert. So when I'm connecting with people, I'm very extroverted. If I'm at a party, I can talk with everybody. But the way that I recharge is going home and reading a book or being with my family, um, which I think helps me quite a bit because then I I do understand the perspective of the uh, full introverts um, that way. Um, When I started my career, I don't think I really even acknowledged the power of networking. It was something that I was fortunate enough to just have naturally happen because I was working with so many volunteers. And so many of them were people that owned businesses in my community. So I had that natural connection. But after uh, I'd been in the workforce for about 10 years or so, so once I left the nonprofit, I did actively network. As soon as LinkedIn started, I started being very active on LinkedIn and reaching out and connecting to people in an authentic way. So even responding up to posts reaching out and figuring out ways to connect with people, whether that was through, through virtual coffee or in-person coffee. And then as I started being more of a community leader, so working with different TEDxs and working with the American Heart Association and Higher Heroes and things like that, I networked with leaders in those different organizations. Um, and now it's become something that's just very natural for me. I tried to go um, and support several different nonprofits, you know, like the um, like I said, American Heart Association, American Stroke Association, working, um, with care and share, which is a food bank in Colorado. Um, there's the women's resource resource agency where I go in and help mentor women, um, revising their resumes and applying for jobs and things like that. Um, And so that's a little bit more active and a little bit more focused networking, but it's a networking with a purpose. And so I'm giving back to the community and volunteering and supporting, but also meeting really great people along the way. Um, And I really do think that because of that networking, that's how I was able to bring on such incredible people to TEDx Manitou Springs. When I got the license, I had already built these really strong relationships and the people that I was working with knew that I would not create something that wasn't going to be awesome. <laughs> and so they wanted to join. And all of that is because um, I put the effort in in really specific ways, working on events for the community that give back, that really um, give to the greater good.
0: Yeah. And it, it does look like this kind of networking is not always keeping in mind that I'm going to need something in return later on, maybe. When um, you got there for job search, right? And the first tip that's given to you is you should network to be able to get the job. So the very first reaction to that always is I got to reach out to people on LinkedIn and maybe do an informational interview or ask them about their job only so that I could get to a point where I could ask for a referral or only so that I could get to a point where they could tell me about an opening in their company. And as much as uh, that might turn out to be helpful to some, it's still something that feels not as authentic to right. a certain extent because you're going in there with an intention. So a lot of times it's it's just about getting something in return from that. So unless you are networking for quite a long time... Right or uh, doing multiple things just out of your curiosity to learn more about other people or just to be friends with them or just to learn more about what they're doing, it can come off as something that's just being done for the sake of uh, doing it. And I think um, in my experience, at least that's something that's not mentioned a lot. When you talk about networking, it's always, almost always so that, you can get a job, right? Or you can get that next opportunity. And that's how a lot of us usually approach it as well, because that's what's told to you.
1: Right. And I think um, you're so spot on with that. Because if there's um, a job that's listed, and you just reach out as soon as that job is listed to network with people, you just can imagine how many other people are doing the same thing. So how many messages are they getting in their inbox from people that want to network with them, but really want to get that job. <laughs> and so trying to think Ahead, trying to think, okay, when I'm ready to enter the workforce, I'm ready to switch jobs. What type of company do I want to work for? And um, there's no reason that you can't be a little bit more strategic about it, but think more in the long term. Okay, six months or a year from now, I might be ready to move. So I'm gonna connect with people who work in this industry or work at this company and see if I can start creating relationships, even if it's just online, even if it's just commenting on their content, but for a length of time, um, that's gonna make it more authentic. And then you, you actually will have just naturally networked with them, and maybe you'll end up getting the job or not, but either way, you'll have a great connection with somebody.
0: right, yeah, absolutely. It's a process and definitely something you need to spend long enough time doing because that is like yeah networking is something you can't get like immediate results from. So yeah, patience is also super important in this case. (laughs) Um, So going off that, uh, what would your, uh, some of the top tips be for someone who's just starting out um, generally in their professional journeys or just um, trying to look for their very first opportunity after they're graduating?
1: I would say don't take the first job that's offered to you unless you've actually researched and found that it's the company you want to work for. I think that we get so excited um, that somebody wants us and that you know we've been accepted that sometimes we don't do the research on our end. Right now and probably for the next couple of years if you if you think about when we talk about the the house selling market that it's a buyer's market and a seller's market Right now, it's the candidates market. So right now, the candidates, because there are so many jobs that are open, the candidates can actually um, do some research and slow down and make sure that they're working for a company that's going to give them what they promise. So often, there are values that are written on a wall or in a handbook, but it's not actually what the company lives and breathes every day. So yeah, so my first tip would be slow down. I know that you want to get a job and I know that um, you you want to get a paycheck and you want to get to work, but you don't want to jump into something that isn't going to be a good fit for you. Um, The second would be exactly kind of what we're talking about now to think about the things that you're passionate about and start researching and finding companies that fit that passion rather than looking for a job title that fits what you want there, um, if you want to work for, I'm just gonna throw out Google, if you want to work for Google, there are how many thousand different types of jobs that maybe even have job titles that you never considered. So to be a little bit creative and to be flexible. Um, And then I think the third one would be to um, take initiative once you get hired. The people that I see that have, that have been really successful and grown their careers are people that step up, that ask Questions that offer to help—that's um, what—that's what leaders want. They want somebody who comes in. That doesn't mean that you have to come in every day and um, pretend that everything's perfect and not be your authentic self, but to be a problem solver rather than a problem maker, and come in, take initiative, and help to improve yourself or your team or your organization, whatever your role is, to uh, to take that initiative.
0: Right. Absolutely. That kind of reminds me of this time um, in my very recent internship that I did. And um, so, you know, when you are someone who obviously has like least amount of experience compared to others in the room as a new employee, it's always intimidating. And also to a certain extent, you just feel like you don't know enough about the industry or enough about how the company functions. And you sort of like get into the process of doing things how they're already done and just following that and um, like my very first day of that internship i was given a binder and it was like oh this is what the previous uh, interns did so you kind of follow these instructions and um, you're of course uh, like open to making changes or you know the way you want to do it but this is how it's usually being done and as someone who had absolutely zero idea about how the processes work that was like the immediate first step I took and a couple of weeks in as I just like mindlessly was following those instructions I was like this absolutely makes no sense why you <laughs> have to do these three things why can't I just put then a formula in excel and create a report it's going to save me 10 minutes every day and that's going to be, you know, like an aggregate a lot more time. Okay. I could probably, you know, save a lot of time, probably work on something else or just go home early, right? If nothing gets right. to be done, why do I have to follow these rules? And I go up to my manager and I was like, uh, hey, is it okay if I make some changes? Obviously the end result is always going to be the same. It's going to change the backend process from my end. And she was like, yeah, as long as the work is being done, no one really cares, right? It was a six month long internship that I did. And at the end, I did not even realize it was that big a deal. But as I was leaving and they hadn't hired the next intern and I was just sitting with my manager and telling her how is it that I did the whole process? And she was like, We had never thought of this before because everyone who had done this before you, they were all interns, and they had followed this process and it had never come up to the management team that this could be an issue, that it was an extremely inefficient process to follow, right? And it was only then when I was leaving and someone else had to take over that they realized that it was a huge save of time and also reducing errors because you're automating kind of the formulas on Excel and didn't have to do it manually. So yeah, definitely something that, as a new employee, you'd find intimidating or feel like uh, you are doing more than you're asked to and that's not your place to speak up. But a lot of times others on the team just simply don't think about that because they have so many other things going on. So I definitely agree with the point that taking initiative is important as long as you've been respectful and putting your point for communicating everything well. uh, That's something that almost always works out if you're in a healthy environment where your opinions True. are being considered.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and I think you're so spot on that um, a lot of the time, so this manager, this leader that you talked to, she might've never done the role that you were doing and that the interns were doing. So she didn't even know how inefficient it was. And so for you to have spoken up and asked, can I do this, it'll give you the same result. Um, What is awesome, and I I say that to so many of my employees all the time. Like, you know, I have 150 of you, so please come to me if you have ideas or suggestions for improvements. Because it's not that I don't value each one of you, but I just don't have the time to understand everything that you do in your role. So, if you see a way for improvement that's going to make things more efficient, efficient, or going to give us better customer satisfaction or whatever it might be, please tell me about it, and let's see if we can do it. We get so trapped in this is the way we do things because this is the way they've always been done we need to break out of that we need to really inspire people to think outside of the box and create change and then those people that have been stuck in that mindset we slowly have to work on giving them a, that growth mindset and help them understand that change is not always a bad thing it's actually a really good thing
0: <laughs> yeah especially in smaller firms when you know one person's doing multiple things, it's just always easy to find out the best possible way of doing something uh, that saves everyone time and money, obviously. Yes, yes. Um, so, um, changing gears towards your entrepreneurial journey, right? So, I'm kind of curious to know more about what is it that made you uh, realize that, you know, this is something that you'd want to do and uh, what what was your motivation behind, you know, venturing into it? And I asked this specifically because, uh, so as we are starting this mentorship platform, right? This is the question Nimi and I keep asking us a lot about, what's like? What's our ultimate motive behind doing this, right? Like, of course, the purpose is something that we're closely aligned with, a problem that we have personally faced and we kind of want to solve it. But is it sustainable in the long run to just have that motivation and keep continue, continuing doing something because obviously entrepreneurship is something that um, is not like an overnight thing. You have to keep doing something for a really long time to even understand if it's viable enough. If it's something that's you know going to make you money. If it's something that's going to grow. And uh, that that particular motive behind doing something can can you know help you get that push and keep going even when things aren't working well. So. Um, as someone who's been doing it for a couple of years now, what what are your thoughts on, you know, passion for solving the problem or like the motivation behind the on- wanting to be an entrepreneur? Or is it something you just want to do because, you know, it seems fun? Does it have to be deep?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I went into it. I, I had some partners that I had been working with on some other smaller projects. And we had talked about it for years that we felt like, as a smaller firm, as a smaller company, we could provide this higher level of service, but not charge the same amount that some of these bigger firms were charging. And so when we went into it, we knew that it would be a long time before we really made any profit. And I think that actually helped us because we weren't going into it thinking, oh, I'm going to start my own business. And then I'm going to be able to take a few months of vacation off a year and I'm going to make so much money. We really went into it thinking, I'm thinking of it almost as a nonprofit where we We'd be helping these businesses in our community that wouldn't be able to afford support if they weren't working with a small company. And um, I think the reason that we were excited about it is that we had a couple of HR and operations um, experts, as well as a graphic design expert, and we all had been working um, been working since we were teenagers, and we had learned how to treat people really well and how to um, really provide great products and great solutions, all of us coming from different industries. And so when we started meeting and talking about it, it just was something that we, I think all at the same time thought, why are we not doing this? This is something we have to do. Um, And what's really funny, it was very coincidental, probably three days, four days after we had this meeting where we decided, okay, we're actually going to create this and we're going to make this happen. I had somebody reach out to me that I'd worked with on another project that said, Hey, I have somebody in California that needs help writing job descriptions and creating interview guides. Did you ever think about doing that for contract work as well? And so at that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, this is meant to be. This is exactly what we've been talking about this entire time. Um, So it's kind of both. It's kind of, hey, we thought this would be fun and we think it'd be really great to work together. Um, But then on the flip side, I wanted to provide something that was affordable and that gave people long-term success, um, specifically in the hospitality industry because the fail rate for restaurants is so high. And I think often it's because people go into it without understanding All of that backside of things like that we talked about before, creating those HR frameworks, creating things like performance management systems, um, creating succession planning, figuring out ways to keep your employees engaged. And so, yes, they they serve. Great food. Yes, they serve great drinks. Yes, their customer service is great. But if your employees aren't well taken care of and if they're not giving those basic needs that employees need, then you're going to fail. Um, and so, by be, being able to give almost that gift to these smaller businesses was something that helped me. Like we talked about, you know, I go to bed and I feel satisfied, and I feel like I'm actually making a difference through that. I still, we still don't make a lot of money, um, but I don't think that's why we 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 didn't start it to be something where we made a lot of money. COVID hit, of course, and it hit the hospitality industry the hardest, which is where TEDx kind of kind of came into play for me because it allows me to do all of those things that I'm doing with Launch Pike's Peak, but do it specifically as a nonprofit and specifically for the community. And as the businesses start coming back and ready to start build, you know, ready to start rebuilding their frameworks and things like that through Launchpikes Peak, then we'll refocus on that again. So flexibility, I know you didn't ask that, but even as an entrepreneur, knowing that one month you might have a ton of business and then COVID might hit and then you might not have any business for a while, um, being flexible and uh, being smart enough to prepare ahead for things like that is something that has kept us going.
0: Mm-hmm. I think uh, going back to the little talk we had about, you know, personality traits and those relating to your profession, is this anything particular about your personality or something that's unique to you that you think has helped you to get where you are today?
1: Yes. Yeah, I do think I've been really lucky. Um, If you think about strength finders, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but with strength finders, um, my number one is strategy and my number two is achiever. So those two things combined, it makes perfect sense to me because everything I do, it's almost like a puzzle. That's probably why I love escape room so much that everything I do, it's strategic and I'm constantly working to do more both for myself and for other people. And so I think that really has helped me. Um, but also in strength finders, I also have woo, which is, you know, connecting with people and, and almost even charming people a little bit. And so I've been very lucky that I have that strategy, but then I also have that other side to me where I can connect with people. Um, So they see that I drive results, but they also kind of are rooting for me. Um, And then with the disc profiling, even though I'm a high eye, I'm actually pretty steady. My eyes like a little bit up, but the rest of them are pretty steady. And so I think I've been fortunate because then I can relate to people better. I understand each of the other, the high D, the high S and the high C, I can relate to them a little bit more. So definitely those, those have, have helped me. Yeah. That's such a strategic answer as well. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm strategy. But yeah, every my whole all the time my brain is just fitting things into place. It's it's like a puzzle (laughs) or like Tetris. It's
0: beautiful. It's like problem solving through life.
1: Yes. yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So um I'm curious you've mentioned that a lot of things that you've done in your life through your professional journey sort of like fell into place in a way that made you a little more aware of what you wanted to do next. But on the flip side, are there any things that you probably regret or the decisions you took that did not go well? And uh, if so, how did you deal with that?
1: Um, I Yeah, absolutely. When I was at the nonprofit, I probably stayed a couple of years longer than I should have just because I knew that it I, I, I knew probably when I was in my seventh or eighth year, I I was there for 10 years. I knew that I was ready to move on, but because I had learned so much and had, had almost grown up there, I felt like I owed something to them. Like I, I, I didn't deserve to step out and do something new because I had grown in my career and I had learned so much. And so looking back, I, I wish I had learned sooner that it's okay to say goodbye to a job. You still love the people that work there, you still respect them, but you don't owe a a company anything. I wanted to understand
0: your perspective on generally working in human resources. And um, for someone who's uh, probably just starting out or maybe figuring out if that's something they wanna do in the human resources space, Things like, you know, talent acquisition or, um, you know, recruiting and all those kinds of things are like seen a lot and a lot of people know about it, but there's a lot more to it that just isn't spoken about enough. If there's someone who's just wanting to start out in this space, uh, how would you describe human resources in general? And yeah, so, and, and if there's anything specific you would want to tell people about that's not being spoken enough, what would it be?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, yes, a lot of it is talent acquisition and recruiting, but also creating the solutions so that you're finding the right people. Um, and that's a really fun part of human resources. Or I'm actually, I don't really love the title human resources because I think it just gives this negative connotation that that's where people go to get in trouble. So I like to think of it as like people and culture, right? We take care of our people and we help build our culture. Um, I think what a lot of people do, don't um, realize is that probably at least fifty percent of our jobs is listening to people, is whether that's walking around and just taking those couple of minutes to touch base with people, or hearing, um, hearing whatever it is that's bothering people, or even if that's like conflict resolution things like that, and that it's very lonely uh, when your human resources or your people and culture you have the responsibility to keep things confidential. And that's even from your management team. So it can be very lonely. I have have a really good example Um, in 2020, where um, the company where I I currently am right now, we lost um, four employees within a matter of three months that passed away. None of them were from COVID. They were all from different, um, different illnesses. But several of them I knew ahead of time because I connected with their significant others that they were passing and they did not want people at the company to know. And so I had to carry that burden and not share it with anybody because it's my legal responsibility to keep things confidential and, um, and listen, as you know, as I talked to them, as I talked to their spouses and then communicate that with the rest of the company, um, it, it's lonely and it's hard. Um, so the, I think that's something that people need to go into it to make sure that they understand that you have a lot of exciting things that you can do by building things for employee engagement and team building and employee development and leadership development and things like that. But there also is an emotional aspect of it. So to make sure you have a support network in place. So for me, that's connecting with other HR professionals that either work you know, side by side with me. Or for me, I have my sister and my husband that I can connect with because I legally cannot say something here. Um, and then the other piece is that there's a lot of paperwork. And so even though the people that work in, um, HR should be people, 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 um, there's also a ton of paperwork when it comes to things like benefits administration and filing all of the different things that you have to with the government and really understanding labor laws so that you don't do something that's illegal or don't say something that you should never say, um, understanding those pieces of it.
0: So um, you, since you mentioned certifications and sort of things that you learned, so um, are, are there any recommendations or things that like are good have for someone who wants to venture into this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are two different ones. There's the professional and human resources certification that people can get, and then there's also a great one through SHRM, which is the Society for Human Resource Management. They have a couple of different certifications. There's a CP that's a Certified Professional. Then there's an SCP, which is a Senior Certified Professional, and then they actually just recently introduced a global, so a GSP for people that really take on global aspects of human resource management, because that's so different, right, than U.S. law. specific countries, it's knowing, knowing all of them.
0: Uh, And so do you know if these certifications are recognized only in the US or outside as well?
1: You know, actually, I don't. That's a really good question. They do have the global certification professional for SHRM. But I don't know if that's just, that's a good question. I'll have to find that out. Um, And then on top of those certifications, there's a lot of ones that you can get through places like SHRM and PHR and um, even different Different colleges will have certifications that you can take online that are specifically for things that um, are really important right now, like diversity, equity, and inclusion and uh, employee engagement. You can get specific certifications. So if you um, want to be an HR professional or a people and culture leader, and you really want your focus to be on something like inclusion or diversity, you can get your SHRM or your SPHR, and then you also can get an additional Um, certification for those specific things. And those are what companies are really looking for now. They value college education, but then they also value those certifications on top of that.
0: If you have any specific book recommendations or social media handles or anything and everything you follow in terms of educational content that you really resonate with, that helps you a lot, um, it can be related to uh, your profession or even otherwise.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Where I go there's a couple of places that I go to continue my, my HR education. Um, it's funny enough because I am a curator for TEDx, but I watch a ton of TED Talks and a ton of TEDx Talks. Pretty much any topic that you're wanting to learn more about or feel inspired about or you just, you just are interested in. There's a TED talk or a TEDx talk about it. If I'm looking for something that's more um, specific, that's when I go to SHRM. And, but they also have different articles and forums that you can join. So if you have a question that's really specific about uh, a circumstance that you're dealing with day to day, you can ask a question or you can find a thread that's already been created. And... Um, And do that um books that i love there's a couple um i'm actually i just finished one by heather younger it's called the art of caring leadership and i think it's so on point for where we are today that we need to care for our employees and think about our employees well-being as we make decisions for them and it goes on you know my whole journey of being an empathetic leader and then i've always loved simon sinek start with why uh, I used to show, actually I probably should start sh- showing it again, but I used to show his Ted talk, the golden circle that breaks down um, how you build loyalty is by starting with why versus starting with what. And I've used that with leadership teams and trainings for years now. And I think it really resonates with people because it, it really does. It helps you slow down and step back. Like we talked about through this entire conversation, if you you ask yourself why before you jump into anything or before you speak to somebody or before you make a decision, then you can be sure that you're leading with intent and making better decisions for yourself and what your, what your purpose is. Yeah. So Heather Younger, The Art of Caring Leadership, and then Simon Sinek, Start With Why are two books that I would highly recommend. And neither one of them is that long. They're really easy reads, but they make a really powerful, um, give you a really powerful end result and something that you carry with you.